0: But you don't know me. Shut up and sit, and sit down. down.
1: Welcome back to You Don't Know Me, a podcast about people you don't know. I'm your host, Veeps.
2: I'm your co-host,
3: Groot.
1: And we have a brand new guest on the show today. We have Action in.
3: Uh, good afternoon.
1: So... Really, we actually kind of brought you onto the show via weird circumstances, just kind of happened to meet you, um, and it was actually through your job, right? Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, so I work at Museum of Design Atlanta. Uh, we're the only museum in the entire southeastern United States dedicated exclusively to design. So we're right across the street from the high. Mm-hmm. Um, and Really
1: cool place, by the way. You guys should go. <laughs> well, thank you.
3: Um, yeah, I think it was... Was it Saturday or was it S- it wasn't Sunday it was it was like maybe a week before the end of the exhibition yeah and so you guys came in and you were taking a look at uh, our two current exhibitions and yeah
1: and it was um what were the two exhibitions they were? so
3: uh we had. Beautiful Users, which was an ergonomics and user centered design exhibition, mm-hmm. and then On You, which is a history of wearable technology.
1: Yeah, oh. so that was actually pretty cool, and you got to test yeah. out like what was it the, the Oculus Rift, Oculus Rift, so. um, and then you got to like see the That's little guys. That's so cool. It yeah,
3: was cool. Um, yeah, so kind of made
1: me motion sick. Like ugh. it's
3: it's an interesting. I mean the the video latency. Um, it gives, it like throws some people. I notice it, but it doesn't bother me, and then there are people who are like full on like. So what is motion. it, is that
2: like the actual VR technology? Yeah,
3: so it's, um, well, the setup that we had, it was, it was technically augmented reality rather than virtual reality, yeah. so it was an Oculus Rift that had some cameras set up on the front. And so, so you, you would. So you would
1: see what was around. around and but then, then
3: there were like two QR codes on these two boxes, and so you'd look at them, and it would show you these little Minecraft characters. Um, And so, you know, it was this pseudo interactive um, augmented reality experience. And one of the interesting things that we learned is um, the distance from the headset to the computer that was running it was a little over six feet, which is just long enough to introduce video latency, even with like USB three point whatever cables. So like you'd move your head and the video would take a, a fraction of a second to catch up. So. Most people, like some people don't notice it and then some people do notice it and it bothers them and I'm just like, that doesn't bother me. Whatever, so, yeah. Yeah, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, I get super bad motion sickness so like mm-hmm. for me I was like, whoa, I don't know about this. Uh-huh. But I like a lot of the the augmented reality tech that's coming out. I mean like even in like basic stuff like your phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. It's it, some
3: pretty cool stuff. It has, um, it has some interesting potential. I think one of the areas that we're really starting to see usefulness in it is for training. Mm -hmm. Um, for like, um, surgery techniques, uh, Mm -hmm. for skilled labor. Like I think Oculus, it's owned by Facebook. I think, um, it's, uh, they have the Oculus touch now, which is these two little hand controls with triggers on them. And so it can tell where your hands are Really, and then, you know, you get, you get input from the, from the triggers. And so, you know, you can put on the headset and then. You can you know do virtual surgery on a patient without having to crack somebody's skull open, and then you can practice like welding and you know all sorts of other like dangerous. very very dangerous or otherwise yeah. you know um, costly you know procedures yeah. to train people. Um, one of the other things that we're not seeing yet, but I think it won't be too long. Um, you know you can go to a car dealership and they'll set down four chairs and you know, you'll put the headset on and suddenly you're looking at the car and then, you know, you can walk around the car and you can, you know, try different options. And so it, it anything that you need, try, cool. anything you need try before you buy, you know, where it's, a, it's mostly a visual experience, you know, you'll be able to simulate that.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can replace test driving, but yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. But that's not actually the bulk of what you do, yeah. right? So,
3: um, so, my. We all have a lot of <laughs> titles at, yeah. at Moda. Uh, we all wear a lot it's of a hats. Small team, yeah. <laughs> There's like less than 10 people. But um, I think my official title is uh, 3D printing proficient. I mm. tend to prefer proficient rather than expert yeah. because it, um, it um, lends itself to I don't know everything and yeah. I'm still learning, um, which I, I definitely think I still am. Um, I think we're all still learning, and mm-hmm. hopefully, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, I teach a lot of 3D modeling classes. I maintain the 3D printers, mm. lift the heavy things, answer questions. I mean, we all basically do whatever needs doing, yeah. Right. Um, but so, I teach the 3D modeling classes, or most of the 3D modeling classes for adults, anyway, at Moda. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so usually the classes are an hour and a half Mm -hmm. and we will introduce people to the concept of 3d printing if they're not already familiar with it. Mm -hmm. And we'll explain some of the basics of simple 3d modeling tools. And then we'll say, what do you want to make? And then, you know, they, that was cool. Yeah. And then they make it for an hour and a half. And then at the end of the class, we save it and then we print it and they get to keep it. So
2: that's so cool. I feel like 3d, technology or not technology printing. What? Sorry. I feel like 3d printing, um, at least in my mind, hasn't really been a thing until like the last I don't know, two or three years. How long mm-hmm. has it been around officially?
3: Uh, 3D printing was patented in 1986. Um, oh, so it's man, actually been around yeah, for a while. Wow. By a man named Charles, aka Chuck Hull. He's like the Stan Lee of the fabrication world. He actually kind <laughs> of okay. looks like Stan Lee. Um, That's the, funny. Maybe uh, it is Stan Lee. <laughs> I mean, you never know. Um, he wears many hats. He does. Um, and so, But it's only in like the past five, 10 years that it start to become more commonplace because I think it was about that time when a lot of the original patents expired for the technology. And so now everyone's like, oh man, I can try this, you know, for, for my own company. And so everyone's, you know, jumping on it and trying different things. Um, and so you know now you have all of these different makes and models and companies that are trying to throw their hat in the ring yeah um, it seems
1: like it's getting a lot more like accessible overall
3: yeah uh I, and i think part of that again you know the open source maker movement culture also open
1: source maker movement culture that's, yeah, that's a, a good mouthful. way to no but it's a good way to to describe kind of what i think we're getting into in tech mm-hmm. just in general yeah
3: just like people wanting to do it themselves mm-hmm. rather than having to buy from someone else um people being willing to take something apart and see how it works and then put it back right. together differently
1: yeah tinkerers are like when you were you talking about like the cool companies that are out there because i recruit for like some of the smaller companies that are kind of sexy with their technology mm-hmm. and stuff but that's what they look for they're looking for like tinkerers they're looking yeah. for people who like eat sleep breathe like this and they're not going to be afraid to take risks. so yeah yeah I so that- i mean
3: so the um the, the the maker movement you know the open source movement also i think we're at a stage where people are really starting to be aware of um some of the software that's out there i mean like yeah. pe- pe- like people for a long time there was this there's this curtain between The people who actually do the designing, Mm -hmm. and then the people who do the consuming, and that curtain Mm -hmm. is sort of slowly being pushed aside, and so now people are getting their hands on all these fun tools and saying, "Oh, look what I can do!" And now and then, as as a side effect of that, people are starting to design their own software. Yeah, you know, and because you're
1: having such a surge in just open source everything, like mm -hmm. with GitHub, all all the code is out there. Yeah,
3: and so now you can. You can say, "I want to make my own tool that does this, this, and this." And so you find, you know, pieces of code, and then you know you put it together with, and you eventually wind up with this <laughs> tool that works really well for you.
1: It even seems to be a paradigm shift for previous technologies, like especially when you com- come to like frameworks or languages that were traditionally like something that were more enterprise. Mm-hmm. They're moving towards that. Yeah, that yeah. Seems to be like the paradigm shift is all open source.
3: Yeah, I mean, people. The more technology we have, the smaller the world, you know, effect seems to get. Mm -hmm. And then because it's getting smaller, you wind up with people closer together, people Mm -hmm. working better together, and then you get more technology and it becomes like, you know, just a a Mm self-reinforcing circle.
1: Yeah, that's cool. So, okay, this is a really interesting thing to be kind of specialized in. And obviously it's a very new, well, not new technology, but new to popular market. Right. Mm -hmm. So how did this start for you?
3: Um, let's see. So I've been doing 3d modeling, uh, since before high school. Um,
1: and when you say 3d modeling modeling, what do you mean?
3: Uh, well, so I started, um, I started doing 3d modeling using, uh, some open source tools Mm -hmm. for, uh, level design for video games Mm -hmm. when I was, I don't know, somewhere between sixth and eighth grade.
2: Was this something that you taught yourself or was yeah it was it was those, it was or? it
3: was primarily self-taught I mean okay. you know, a lot of that was just me you know poking it at, at buttons and see, was. Yeah, just, yeah, seeing what it did um and you know so I started out with um you know these open source tools doing modeling for for game game uh, levels and then um in high school uh, there was a class where I was introduced to, I didn't really know it at the time, but it was uh, professional level mechanical drafting software. And at first it was interesting cause I was very hesitant. I was like, oh, the tool that I have works great. I don't really want to learn a new tool. Mm. And then, you know, I found I, I, I once I like actually started using uh, the new tool, I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is just how I think, you know, like it was, it was a lot more intuitive. Mm. Um, I did. One of the one of the worst feelings, in my opinion, is feeling like you're having to fight your tool to get to get what you want done. Right. Yeah. And um, the tool that I had been using, it was good for what I was trying to do with it at the time, but um, the tool that I wound up using in high school, it was far more intuitive for me anyway. And so, you know, I started playing around with that and then after high school i bounced around for a little while and eventually i went to a technical college Mm. um in east atlanta and which one it was um at the time it was Decab technical college uh now i i they've changed their name to some random you know like rambling association of words but i don't Mm. remember what it is (laughs) um but um so I started out in the welding department there mm. and
1: interesting. Yeah.
3: I, it
1: Cause you've w- done a lot of like design. Yeah. yeah I, I guess you're getting,
3: I, to I was very, I took a, before I went to the cab technical college, I was in, um, I took some like classes at the Sproul center, which is, you know, it, they, they have like, you know, little classes that you can sign up for, for like, all sorts of things, you know, pottery mm-hmm. and painting. Mm-hmm. And one of the classes was like an introductory welding class. And so I, I was like, oh, hey, I can, you know, shove two pieces of metal together and make something cool. That's actually,
1: uh, I would love to do that.
3: that would be be like so a fun. Fun. It's a fun skill to have. I mean, at first yeah. people like, oh my gosh, there's electricity and fire and metal. And I'm like, it's really not. I mean, as long as you don't do anything really, really crazy, I mean, yeah. you can make some really fun stuff. Um, and, and you can, you can look at it and you can, you can point to it and you can say, I made this, you know, I took these pieces of metal that, you know, were cast offs from, you know, other things, other things yeah. and I made it into something new. Yeah. Um, and so that was where I, I started, you know, with welding. And so I went to Decab technical college for welding. And then, um, I also sort of branched out into the machine shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, started learning about like drill presses and lathes and CNC machines and stuff. And then I eventually settled in the uh, mechanical drafting department, Mm. um, where I started using, you know, these professional mechanical drafting tools again. And that was where I really found 3D printing. Um, The previous professor, previous head of the department, had purchased this like $50,000, you know, 3D printer. I think it was a big Stratasys machine. And it was, you know, it was a really, at the time, very expensive, very Mm -hmm. sophisticated machine. Mm -hmm. And somehow or another, the machine had sort of fallen into disrepair. You know, Mm -hmm. Nobody, nobody around still knew how to use it um and because no, it was older well I, not that it was just like no one had really bothered to learn about the machine got it um yeah. and no one had taken the time to go through the manual and figure out what was wrong and so i talked to the new professor i said can i take a crack at it and so he said yeah sure so i you know read the manual and i through process of elimination eventually troubleshooted what was wrong with it and i fixed it and got this printer back up and running and then i was like well Let's see what it does. Yeah. Let's, and, uh, let's enjoy I mean, the fruits of yeah, my yeah, labor. I, I mean, It was like I knew what it did, but I was like, let's let's actually see what it's capable like, of. Yeah. Let's see its potential. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I started 3D printing a couple little things. And I was like, this is this is I can design something on the computer and make then the it. machine will make it for me. And I think I when I was when I was much younger, I had all the Legos and Connects and all the other fun building toys and you know when you're building with legos there's a there's a certain amount of you have these pieces and you put them together and there's not really any way to super screw it up yeah mm-hmm. um and when you get into things like welding you're like okay well if i don't put this right here this piece isn't going to fit into this other piece yeah. and so I'm, unless I have things like Legos, I tend to not trust my own hands uh, so much. I, I'm very, you know, I can, I can see it in my head, but I don't necessarily trust my hands to fabricate it. Mm. Um, But the machine has infinitely steadier hands than I do. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And and so I'll, I'll design it on the computer and, you know, create this, you know, pseudo-perfect digital representation of whatever the thing is, mm-hmm. and then I hand it to the 3D printer, and the printer makes it. And so that's... Um, it, at DeKalb Technical, that's where I really got the 3D printing bug. And I was maybe 11, 11 quarters into to the mechanical drafting program um, at DeKalb Tech, and I kind of looked around, and there was... You know, there's there's a reasonable class size, but everyone else was using these really sophisticated tools to make like car engines and mm-hmm. gears and you know very sort of normal industry things. Meanwhile, I was designing like spaceships and robots <laughs> and, and you know I don't know, all sorts of other cool stuff. Yeah. Um, just I,
1: like a little outside of the box yeah, yeah okay.
3: very 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 not typical for what these tools kind yeah. of normally get used for and Almost I was like
2: using like futuristic technology yeah for sci-fi yeah
3: and so I I kind of looked around and I said maybe maybe I'm in the wrong place <laughs> um, and yeah. like everything
1: here is very literal yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: I mean everyone else would kind of look at me funny like why are you building and I'm like why not <laughs> and so uh, I looked around at other colleges and I eventually transferred to SCAD, uh, Savannah College of Art and Design, the Atlanta campus. And I went into the interactive design and game development program there. And I also eventually decided I wanted a minor in sculpture. Um, interesting. And hmm. one of the things that I found most interesting is, you know, at SCAD, You learn a lot and a lot of it is, you know, in the classes, but a lot of it is from other students. You you find someone who does something better than you do Mm -hmm. and you pick their brain. You ask them questions and you learn. Um, And so one of the one of the other things that I found um, interesting and kind of funny was in the sculpture department, everyone was very hands on. You know, you would give them a block of wood or you know a chunk of clay and some tools, and like a half an hour later, you'd have a bust of you know this this amazing piece of art, and but most almost all of them, you know, you put them in front of a computer and they're like, I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I'm they're not, more I'm, physically. They're, yeah, they're yeah. much more hands on, and then in the game design you know department, um, everyone is. They they live in front of a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like the total opposite. Yeah, it's the total opposite. I mean, they, they can code. They can create a website. You know, they can, you know, create three D three D assets for games. Um, you know, they can they can come up with the rule set for a board game. But if you if you want them to make the physical assets, like for for a real world. Uh, representation they're like I'm, I'm not sure how to do this and so I was kind of halfway in between so this is where you come yeah. in yeah um, and so <laughs> really happy medium <laughs> yeah so I mean uh, like I'd, I'd be talking to to sculpture majors and they'd be like oh I, but I need to to you know come up with this website content I'm like I can do that and then I'd be in the uh, the game design department and one of my friends would be like I, I have this cool board game but I need to make like a prototype you know and it needs to be you know wood and metal and bolts and all and I'm like I can do that not going to do it for free, but I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so after I graduated, um, there was a lot of kind of now what, you know, looking around, trying to figure out where, what do I do with this? Um,
1: especially when you're like, so you don't fit neatly into either. box. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: One of my, I think it was my last quarter at SCAD. Um, I was taking the the portfolio and polishing class you know you make your website and you make your you know portfolio and you resume and business cards and all this other fun stuff and you know i walk into the class and the professor's like all right we're gonna put everything that we've designed on on the table and we're gonna look at each other's work and we're gonna say this looks good on your resume this doesn't you know all this other fun stuff and so i'm you know throwing up on the projector screen all these images of 3d printed things and you know, little interactive flash widgets. And the professor's like, why aren't you in industrial design down at Savannah? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, oops. <laughs> um, and, Cause you know, this is like three years in and it's like, well, if I really wanted, I could switch uh. down, da- I could switch down to Savannah And then it would take, like, another four years because all the stuff that I've done up until now doesn't really apply to this Mm -hmm. other major. And I was like, "Uh, maybe for graduate school eventually. And so, you know, I graduated uh, with with a a minor in sculpture and a BFA in interactive design and game development. And then you get into the real world, and it's like, I still don't really fit in Mm -hmm. at any of the places where all of my, you know fellow students in either field are doing things Mm -hmm. um you know i I knew friends who you know they they established workshops and you know they they started making all these giant metal sculptures for for commissions and you know all, all this other stuff and then People who went into the fine art world, and then in the interactive des- designing game development side, people who you know started working for big name game studios, you know, mm-hmm. making art assets for whatever games, and you know, designing websites for all these other companies. And I'm like, I the, neither the, neither of these boxes are the mm-hmm. things that I want to be in. Um, and so I, I bounced around for about two years or so, and. I we were I was driving past the High Museum um, one day and I you know normally you drive past the High Museum and you're looking at the High Museum and I just happened right. to be looking the other direction um, which is uh, 1315 Peachtree Street and I saw you know Museum of Design Atlanta and I was like I don't know what this is I'm I'm going to investigate mm-hmm. and um, I saw you know these people are they're always looking for volunteers and you know that that sort of caught my eye on their website and so um i contacted them and i said you know i see you're looking for volunteers you know how can yeah. i help because you know there's all the yeah right? yeah like- there, there's no. a, there's always this notion of you you sort of work your way in and you get sit, your foot in the door you and then you prove that you're valuable to them, right? Yeah. Um, and then, and you know, so I a lot of what I you know, the first I don't know six months or so, um, you know, I would show up and I would help out with set up and breakdown for like special events and mm-hmm. uh, their summer camps, you know, teaching kids how to build stuff with Legos and all these other fun things. And after about six months, the uh, the executive director. Uh, Asked me if I wanted to work in a non volunteer capacity, and I was like, "Yeah, sure, like, of course, I was, yeah, exactly." <laughs> yes, I was like, "Yes, yeah, 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 this is this is what I've been waiting for." And so, a little bit after that, when I I you know started working as um, you know patron services employee, yeah, um, and we had an exhibition that was all about board and video games designed by women. Mm. Um, challenging a lot of the conventional stereotypes that only guys design and play video games. Right. And Interesting.
1: Do you guys have like record of that? On the... Um, is there any like reference material? There,
3: there, there might be some floating around. That was, that was a while back, and mm-hmm. so I'm. But I, it, there's, uh, there's probably something somewhere. Um, but.
1: I'm just interested to read more.
3: It, it, it was a very cool exhibition, and it, the exhibition was broken down into, like, three main sections. So there was sort of the lobby of the museum was set up with a bunch of games that were intended to, like, very social games, mm-hmm. things that were intended to blur the physical and digital spaces. So we had, like, an old-school centipede cabinet. Um, there was a game, Uh-oh. yeah. It was it was it was pretty cool. And then okay, we had, for me,
1: I don't know what that is. So, so c-
3: Centipede is like... is like one of the old school where you have this kind of bug, oh, like that, the snake. Yeah, game. that's okay, going yeah, yeah, down it's right. the it's screen, on, like, and you the have old,
2: to like, ti.
0: Yeah,
3: and then you have to zap it before it gets to the bottom yep. and eats your mushrooms mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, <laughs> and so we had that. We had a bunch of of other sort of social games that were intended to get people. You know, interacting with each other yeah and then, then a side gallery we had um more commercial games uh th- things that you know people bought that were you know the money-making games mm-hmm. and then in the back gallery we had uh sort of not necessarily art pieces but games that dealt with more adult issues, so dealing with race and politics mm. and uh, gender inequality. Can you give
1: and, us like an example of...
3: There was um, there's a really great example, but I'm not going to go into it because it'll spoil it. Um, okay, cool, cool but go th- ahead. There, uh, that was a really cool game, but there was one that um, I think it was called it was Analog a love story, I think. And it it, it sounds like an actual board game because it says analog, but it's not. It's mm-hmm. a it's this digital, you know, it's just it's this little computer game. And the premise is that you're piloting this spaceship and it's been sent to recover the data logs from this giant like generation ship that has been discovered you know, from from many, many, that was launched many, many, you know, years back. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, you're, it, it's it's very much like a, there's no, like, moving around and clicking and working puzzles. It's all command line stuff. So you're. Oh, that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, so the premise is that your your character has, you know, sort of remotely accessed the computer of this, of this ship. And... Um, you know there's something up with the with the interface you can't just like communicate with the ai but the ai is like okay you're here there's something wrong with the system we're going to set up a command line interface Mm -hmm. so you can like have some semblance of communication and you know the ai is very friendly um and so you're reading through these logs and you're trying to you know download this data and you a lot of these log entries are from crew members on the ship. And the more you read, the more you realize there's more going on here than, like than, than, than what you originally saw. And then the second AI character shows up and is like, Oh, don't listen to this other, this first AI character that you met, like they're a liar, you know? And so it starts to get into, well, who do you believe? And it, it explores a lot of the gender bias that is associated with um, men and women in certain cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, in in that, you know, in many cultures, um, men are seen, seen as dominant, yeah, and women are supposed to be seen and not heard, and you know, you're supposed to believe the men. And it sort of turns a lot of those uh, stereotypes on their heads in a very interesting way. Interesting. Um, now, is I that, really want to play it. Yeah, yeah, is that something
2: that's public now? Or? Um,
3: I think a lot of the games that were in the sort of art and, you know, the sort of po- political gender type section, um, they're either free or, like, in the case of one of the board games, like, the rules are available. So you can, like, you mm-hmm. can find them and, you know, play them. Right. Yeah, um, and I'll, I think so a, they're pretty accessible yeah they're pretty accessible. Exce- you just have to know what to look for mm-hmm. um, so
1: one of the things that we'll do I want to kind of pick your brain even off the record mm-hmm. a little bit in the blog so the show notes um, is maybe like come up with some recommendations oh, yeah, for totally. people to kind of dig into that a little bit more
3: mm-hmm. so um, one of the but you know we had this game design um, show but nobody at the museum really knew anything about game design
2: <laughs> um,
3: you know most of the people had not played video games um and
1: interesting and yeah yeah,
3: and and so you know the exhibition um exhibition manager at the time uh she said all right you went to school for game design right you you know about this stuff right (laughs) and i'm like i you know I I know some and she's, she said, you know, well, tell us what you know. Yeah. Um, you know, teach us so that we know what we're talking about when people come in and start asking questions. Um, and so, you know, I dug out my notes from, from SCAD and I started saying, well, you know, this, this, and this are important, you know, and here's why, and here's how you do this, that, and the other, and, you know, just sort of trying to impart, what yeah, yeah. training them. And then, Uh, you know, so that, that show was awesome. Um, And at some point, it's probably about two years ago now. um, Somehow we got in contact with MakerBot. What's MakerBot? MakerBot is a company. They're based out of Brooklyn, I believe um, in New York. And they are, or at the time they were, this like kind of brash young upstart company that was making yeah. 3D printers. Oh. Um, and so, because like at the time, mm. al- the only companies that were really making 3D were these big, like, yeah, really, you know, massive companies that had all of this clout and you know, people right. power and money to throw it at these these. And projects. we've seen a
1: lot of smaller companies crop up here yeah. in the last couple mm. of years of yeah. that are doing yeah. it.
3: Yeah, I mean, now uh, now it's like all these little companies are like, oh, let's try this. Mm-hmm. And so MakerBot was. And it's funny because a, a lot of people during that show um would mention or like would, they'll come in and they'll say have you seen this uh this documentary and it's like a it's something on netflix i think that's about 3d printing and from what i hear i haven't actually watched it yet and i really ought to but from what i hear I watch it. <laughs> yeah, from what i hear you know they interview all these other companies and everybody's like oh makerbot is that you know brash young upstart you know company and they're all like you know, really, really sort of grumpy about the fact that MakerBot has kind of taken that industry by storm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so MakerBot at the time was, um, they were, you know, they're as a company, they're trying to sell products. Yes. But they're also really big on education. They mm-hmm. were trying to get people educated about 3d printing, what it can and can't do, what it's good for, how you can no, use great, it to make it to, more yeah, accessible right. to I mean. make your life better. Exactly. And so, being sort of a design museum and in the business of education, um, among other things, we our, our interests dovetailed really nicely. And so, mm-hmm. we reached out to them or they reached out to us. I'm a little unclear on how that happened. But... Um, <laughs> there was contact made. Yeah, there was contact but made. But it happened. Yeah. And so, uh, I flew up to Brooklyn with the executive director and, you know, we... We were the intention had been for us to be up there two days and the first day, you know, we'd talk about, you know, sort of the abstract and the software and mm-hmm. like you know, where we were hoping to go with 3D printing. And then the second day we were gonna get some hands-on training with one of the machines. And when we touched down, there had just been this giant snowstorm in New York, and there was like a foot of snow everywhere. Oh geez. And I was like, like oh. New York. Yeah, you know? I was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is great. It's cold. Um, and <laughs> it's not like no. Atlanta weather. Yeah, it's not like Atlanta weather where we have one and a half seasons and they both suck. Um, <laughs> but it's true. so you know, we we have t- a lot of other things yeah, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We do. Um, and so you know, we touched down, and uh, the first day we were, you know, talking about software and how things work in, you know, the MakerBot sort of design environment for like processing stuff for 3D printing, all this other fun stuff. And then the second day we were going to actually get hands-on training with, uh, with, you know, a machine and like the news comes in, well, there's another cold front. If you, e- e- you're either like staying here for another week or you got to get out now. And so we fly down to Atlanta Um, And MakerBot ships us, um, you know, four 3D printers.
0: Yeah.
2: How much do
3: those cost? (laughs) Because... Those machines... The machines that we got are about... So, the four
1: that you guys have in there are from MakerBot? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Um,
3: Those machines are about $2,000 each. Um, And, uh, you know, so, you know, we got these four machines. Yeah. and you know they they said anything you guys need you know let us know and because you guys are working to the yeah same, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so we had these machines and we were like okay we unbox them and unpack them and you know
1: you're like how do we use them <laughs> well, well i mean I,
3: I i was sort of familiar with 3D print but like you know i've never seen one that's small like yeah this, and, like you this know, is a different this so they is they can just y- ship to you yeah yeah just getting shipped exactly right. and so um i'm you know, we were we were like, okay, well we have these 3D printers, now what do we do? Yeah. And so we started looking for ways to not necessarily monetize, but how do we capitalize, capitalize on, yeah. on this new resource? Um and you know, what can we do with them besides having them make little tchotchkes mm-hmm. all day long? Uh, keys. and That's
1: such a good word <laughs>
3: and so we eventually started poking around at teaching classes where you know people would design something and get a, th- a thing 3d printed and one of the first um types of classes that we kind of hit upon was kids love minecraft you know they love yeah. they're obsessed, they're with, obsessed with minecraft it it it's 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 a little scary in my opinion like but
2: it's become so commercial
3: now like yeah. you can go to target
2: and there's like merchandise upon merchandise everything
3: with like at the time i wasn't like i knew i sort of was peripherally aware of minecraft but yeah. i never mm-hmm. played it and i was like i should probably brush up on this so i have some idea of what i'm talking about when the kids come in because the kids eat sleep and breathe this stuff so yeah. for work you got to play i for, for work i got to play minecraft which
2: is like some people's dream yeah
3: and <laughs> you know so i'm i'm twiddling around this and it very quickly dawns on me that minecraft they say it's a game it's really not a game it is a building to- tool disguised as a game i mean what it really is is an infinite supply of cubicle legos and you get to do stuff with them and Mm. i mean it's a sandbox game so there's there's no story really to speak of and there's a lot of hidden functionality that you have to go digging for you know Mm. it's it rewards people who are inquisitive and say what happens if i do this On the surface it it
2: looks very simple but as you dig in you find it's much more complex than most people originally think
3: yeah and so um I started experimenting, and we eventually found this uh, piece of freeware um, basically written and distributed by this one guy. Um, (laughs) And what it does is, you know, you build something in Minecraft, and this program allows you to reach into the game world and select a three-dimensional volume. So you can say, I want this chunk of ground and air and water and this castle that I've built. And then it says, "All right, we're going to take that chunk that you've selected. And we're going to save it as a 3D model, which you can then 3D print."
0: Oh man, and that's so,
3: that is, cool! Yeah, so cool. And so, because you know, all the ki- all the kids are like, "Oh, look at this cool castle I made," you know, or whatever it is. But a lot of the adults, you know, they don't really want to. Get it. They don't really want to like look over their kid's shoulder while the kid is like showing them around this little digital thing, mm-hmm. and. We were like, what if the kids actually have a little 3D model that they can, you know, put on their shelf? Yeah, yeah, look yeah. at this thing that I built and look at all these fun things that I built into it. And so uh, we started teaching these classes and they were a huge hit. Um, and, you know, so kids, you know, basically, anytime you say Minecraft around kids, they're going to like Minecraft and you, know, you can <laughs> sort of see the cat ears perk up. And um, <laughs> that's so funny and so I didn't
1: realize it was that big it's
3: okay. huge it's like it's so like so
2: huge younger kids and like t- preteens it's yeah. such a big I, thing
3: I we, we, we have teenagers and above who are they still they, they come into the museum and they're like Minecraft classes you have Minecraft classes <laughs> and I'm like yes we do yeah.
1: it's so funny that that's the game that took the world by storm like <laughs> yeah it's it's well that and Pokemon Go <laughs> yeah
3: yeah uh, Pokemon Go yeah. that's a whole other story anyway <laughs> um, but so we had, you know, we started teaching these Minecraft classes, and we're like, "Well, mm. you know, that's cool for kids and young adults. What about for um, yeah. adults?" And so we started poking around for tools that we could teach the adults, you yeah. know, how to three D model stuff, and we found we found a tool, uh, a browser based three D modeling tool called Tinkercad. Um, where you know it's free to create an account. All you need is an email address, and you know okay. you sign up, and, and then it's, it's browser based. Yeah, really nice. Yeah. yeah. So there's nothing to download. There's nothing to install. It's got tutorials built into the website, and so people will, you know, co- would would can they can sign up and Tinkercad is in some ways it's kind of like Minecraft, but mm-hmm. it's not not a game in the conventional sense. Tinkercad. Um, it's like the 3D version of those learn how to draw books Mm -hmm. where like we're going to draw an owl. We're going to start with a circle for the body and a circle for the head. And then we're going to put some triangles on for the ears. And it's that, but it's in 3D. So Mm -hmm. people will say, I want to make a snowman. I'm going to take a sphere and I'm going to put another sphere on top of that and another sphere on top of that. And then I'm going to build this hat, which is a bunch of cylinders. And then, you know, so you put these pieces together and you wind up with a thing. Um, and, and, so we would, you know, we're like, well, this is, this is a cool tool and it's free and it's got a really low learning curve so we can teach other people really easily. And so we started teaching Tinkercad classes for adults and for sort of, you know, round eight and up. Mm-hmm. And it just like, everyone's like, ah, oh, I want to learn how to do three. Cause I, I think a lot of people. they they have something in their head that they want to make but they're mm-hmm. not sure how to do that um you know n- most people don't have access to wood and metal working tools you know um and you know they have this very nebulous idea up there right. up in the head and then they're like i i want to make this but i'm not quite sure what's involved
2: yeah i remember like when i was younger i would i loved action figures and i had like tons of them I'm like i wish they would make this character i yeah. wish i could like do this somehow and now i'm like thinking like holy crap you could do this now
3: now i can i can get a 3d scan of my face and slap it on a little action figure head and i can have me as an action figure that's so cool so um but even more broadly yeah yeah and 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 so we were we were sort of throwing stuff at the wall to see what would stick and um one of the things that um was very interesting to me anyway. Um, when we were in the early days of teaching these 3D modeling classes is we were we were really learning we were making it up as we went. You know, we were like what what how do we how do we do this? How do we do that? Um, one of the big challenges was you know, you're teaching all these classes and these classes have, you know, between 8 and 10 students. And you're teaching at least two of them a week, mm-hmm. often more. And so you're generating all of these 3d models. Where do you, where do you put them? How do you, how do you store them? How do you organize them in an art gallery? Yeah. And yeah. And, 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 and how do you keep track of all the physical things that you've made? Um, and we, again, it was very much a learning process. It was very much a like, well, what, what do we do with this? And, sort of building this system and this infrastructure that helped to support these classes, um, is, is, is a really interesting experience for me. Um, and so so it's
1: almost all, and and it's cool that it built out of itself, yeah. yeah, So like all of these things are reaction to this thing that you guys found and you just kind of hit this, this mark that mm -hmm, was something that was huge. Like the Minecraft and I mean the fact that three D printing is so accessible, and then building from there, right? Yeah, yeah, snowballing.
3: Yeah, I mean it. It it, it sort of becomes this self sustaining thing where now mm-hmm. it's like, well, now you, you know, have no choice, but yeah, to keep yeah. Going. Now we have to keep going. People <laughs> yeah. notice. They're yeah. like, okay. And so we want now more. We, now it's become like, well, we, now we have to refine it and polish it mm-hmm. and make sure that it works really well. Um, but
1: that's how you know you've landed on something really rich, yeah. right? Is that you can get that depth and there's, there's more that you can tap into. Yeah. Right.
3: And I, I think, I think we're, we're definitely at the stage where like we, we kind of sort of know what we're doing now <laughs> and it's more just like, we're gonna, we're gonna work out all the little bitty kinks and quirks that we, that are arising from this system that we've yeah. created. Um, yeah. And so we, this was maybe the late last year we had a, a whole show devoted to 3d printing, mm-hmm. which, um, was probably one of my favorite shows um in my time at the museum thus far um it was also an interesting learning experience for me and I think for everybody else I mm-hmm. mean a lot of the stuff that we had in the show, I was sort of peripherally aware of. Yeah. Um, like, oh, my gosh, people are using 3D printing to make houses. People are using 3D printing what? in them. Yeah. I'll, to make houses. To make houses. What? Yeah. Okay. Like, You know, in the medical field. I mean, in all sorts of other fields. I'm and, assuming
2: when you say, like, make a house, like, you don't just design a house and then it automatically just prints out the house. You print out, like, the components houses, of it. Houses, yeah, Yes. It and, like... also no, me, like... and also no. And
3: also no. Yeah. Yes and no. So so yeah, we had this three D printing show, and a lot of the stuff that was in the show, I was sort of peripherally aware of. Um, but at the same time, there was a lot of stuff like, well, that's news to me, um, or you know, people go, like we. That was probably one of the most video intensive shows that we've done in my experience at the museum. We had something like eighteen different because a lot of the stuff that you see in relation to technology, if you. If you take the time to write out a wall of text and expect people to read it, their eyes glaze over. Yeah. Right. But if you can show them in a video, if you can have like a TED talk of someone demonstrating something, people yeah. are a lot more willing to listen. Um, it's just,
1: a, it's, and again, it's an easier thing to understand, yeah. right?
3: Yeah. And because if you've
1: never seen a 3D printer, yeah, print like, like well, right? well, if you've never seen the technology, it's going to be really hard thing to put into context if you're just reading it
3: absolutely and one of the one of the things that we've that we hear so often is that the term 3d printing like throws a lot of people people you know they think well a printer is 2d you know because we're so used to like this you know you stick a piece of paper in and it puts ink on it and then you wind up with this thing you know Mm -hmm. piece of paper with your whatever and people think well what is a 3d printer you know and so the term I mean, it's a nickname. It's, um, it's a nickname for this whole branch of technology. The official title, I think, is additive manufacturing. So rather than subtractive manufacturing, where you take like a block of wood or metal or plastic and you carve away from it you know, you're subtracting, mm-hmm. you're taking the material in some sort of malleable format and you're adding it. Um, and once you explain that to people, they're like, oh, well that makes more sense. <laughs> um, and so one of the other things that we've had to sort of learn over the course of having these 3d printers at the museum is how do you talk to people about it? I mean, one of the, yeah. thi- one yeah. of the things that we say is, well, it's a robot hot glue gun, you know, because, <laughs> Which, because you say that accurate. it makes sense. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Should, yeah, yeah. I get people it. Are like, yeah, oh, totally. okay. I get that. You know, stuff goes in, it gets hot and it comes out and then it solidifies. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we had this 3d printing show and that, can that, that ran... be
1: the title of your episode? Robot hot glue guns.
3: I mean, I do I'm, like that. I'm <laughs> totally okay with that. I do like that. that. <laughs> um, so we uh, you know, we had this show, and it ran for something like six months. And one of the other interesting challenges for that particular show was we had something like 16 3D printers because a bunch of other companies in the Atlanta and Georgia area like loaned us 3D printers for the show. And so in addition wow. to running our four 3D printers... Um, we had to sort of learn the software and the hardware for like twelve other three D printers. <laughs> oh, so you geez. got noticed. Yeah, yeah, we got we got noticed for that show, um, and it it really was a, a like a feather in our cap. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so now uh, we've we're several shows past that, and people still come in and like, oh man, you have three D printing classes? That's awesome. Where can I sign up for that? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I think is hilarious is um, we have people who work at the High Museum mm-hmm. and they come across the street and they're like, I, I didn't even know you guys were here. And they <laughs> are like, OK, yeah. Thanks. yeah and, and, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, that's fine. Whatever. You know, we, we hear that a lot. I mean, because. It is kind of hidden. Like, I it, it is. It I mean, took... p- people know, like the public libraries there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, generally. But. Uh, the building that we work in has three businesses. You know, we're the first floor. The public library is the second floor, and then there's an architecture firm that owns the, that actually owns the building that works out of like the top five floors. Mm. And so, you know, people are still coming over like, "What is this place?" Or you know, people will come in looking for the library, and then um and occasionally we get these these very official looking guys in suits with briefcases and they're like we're looking for Perkins and Will and we're like it's it's one door that way so um so you know like and we see all sorts of of cool people and I think a lot of a lot of what we do is educate people but a lot of what we do is get to meet new people and sort of add their sort of experience to this giant I don't know this giant pot of other experiences that you sort of mix up and then you sort of ladle out to other people and be like, "Hey, have some of this." Yeah, um, like
2: the good thing about networking like and doing do that, <laughs> yeah, it generates ideas mm-hmm. yeah. for yeah. both parties. It's not just like being restricted to what you're doing. You yeah. learn more and kind of figure out what you can do with your technology and how others can do the same. Yeah,
3: and you know, we have we we've had people come in and they say, "I've got this cool idea for a thing," and I'm I either i have a model that i've already made or that someone else made for me or i've got this idea how do i how do i take it to the you know the next step and we're like we'll show you and you know a lot of the times you know we learn something in the process you know we learn you know oh well this is how people are going to use this tool you know this is how people react one of the things that i've i've probably found the most interesting is that know everybody thinks a certain way, right? Everybody has their own sort of mental thought process, but I'm very much a, a visual spatial person. You know, mm-hmm. I, I look at an object and my brain breaks it down automatically into its component shapes. And I start taking it apart mentally in my head and mm-hmm. putting it back together. Um, I think in math and geometry. Yeah. And so,
1: I wish I could do that. <laughs> it, I
3: mean, yeah, me too. Me too. But like, I, I have a friend who he's a, he went to Scabbard and he's a really awesome guy. And he recently told me something. He said, I don't visualize things in my head. Like, you know, I, I can. There are do- a lot of people who can. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, 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 he literally said, I can't do it. Like, he can sort of remember something that, like, <clears throat> sorry.
1: But if you describe an apple to them, yeah, like they're if, not going to have an image of an apple. I
3: mean, like, he can he can sort of, like, close his eyes and he sort of gets, like, the memory of an apple, yeah. you know? You sort of remember what an apple looks like. But yeah. he doesn't, like, call up in his, his head a three-dimensional version of an apple that you can turn around. Like, his brain won't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but and,
1: it's, and a lot of people have that. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like an actual, like differentiator yeah Yeah. certain people but he can
3: he can like see code in his head Mm -hmm. you know he'll he'll be like working on some project and he's just like he's mentally he's got a command line in his head and he's like you know all of the all of the characters and all of the logic and all those other stuff and i can i'm like you know i can sort of work through the you know what the the logic should be but i have to start like typing things out before i actually get to the code Mm -hmm. so um it's been a very interesting experience, as you know, we're teaching these classes to f- see how people's brains work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had a class where and learn how
1: to teach and coach something like this yeah. that's so specific to s- so many different types of individuals, right? Yeah. Like, how do you how do you make it accessible to like all of these different people?
3: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that that we've done is we've made you know cheat sheets for here's how we. Here's how you know. Like, here's what this button does. Here's what this button does. Here's how you do this, that, and the other thing. So people have something that they can look at, um, so that it's not just like for a half an hour, me just lecturing at people mm-hmm. about how this tool works and showing them things. Because mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of what we find is people they sit down, they want to they want to play, they want to mm-hmm. they want to experiment, they want to see what happens when you do this, and you know, to a certain extent, that's cool. But to a certain extent, it's like, well when you want to start making something here, like you want to impose certain ground rules so that, you know, it turns out well. It's so exactly. So it turns out well. And it becomes sort of like kind of like a social experiment. um, (laughs) When you, when you start like figuring out the tips and tricks for teaching Mm -hmm. and also for um, guiding the classes so that, you know, people people get something cool, but they also feel like they learn something. They feel like their time was well spent. Um, they yeah. you know, they feel like they learned something and they had a good time. Yeah. Um,
1: so finding a balance between I mean,
3: just letting them run around and you know on, on this digital playground, and then like, well, let's build something cool that you'll use. Give yeah. Them some structure. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 a really interesting experience. Um, teaching all these classes and seeing how these how these people think. I mean, we had this one lady who she came in for a class and she was, she had an architecture background and she was used to using a very specific type of 3D modeling tool, which, um, you know, you, you build things in certain ways. And she was, she didn't know it at the time, but she had, you know, she, she, the class... The, that she was taking, we were using a very different tool. And so she kept trying to build something the way that she was used to building it by sort of yanking on, on certain handles. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of watching this and I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what you're doing, but it's <laughs> probably not what you think you're doing. And then, so once she explained, I'm used to using this, I'm like, oh, okay. And yeah. so then, cause I was like, I'm not quite sure how to help you yet. Mm -hmm. but once she explained where she was coming from, like, Oh, okay. Now I understand. And now I can help you do what you want to do. Yeah. So
1: now one of the things that you mentioned, and this is something I know we're both really curious about are the industries that are using this. Like I kind of want to know some of the real world impact here. Yeah.
2: Okay. Like I, the biggest thing I'm familiar with is, you know, the medical field. One of the things Mm -hmm. that I know about is, you know, in heart surgery, they now can 3d print, stents and things like that they don't have to actually you know have another company do it all but they can like custom make it for the individual that needs the heart stent and so that's one application i've heard but yeah that's the that's, rest is totally foreign to me
3: so during our 3d printing show we had it broken down into a bunch of different sections um for different uh industry fields um and as i mentioned there like architecture is a big one um so for example we had in the back gallery, there was a company in the Netherlands, I believe. And they took, it's basically a shipping container that they turned on its end and they turned it into a 3D printer. Oh, uh, wow. And so, you know, there's this massive box that builds things. And what they've done is they 3D print sections of houses like puzzle pieces. Wow. And so you put these pieces together and then you fill the sort of inside and outside walls, the space in between them with this sort of concrete material. And then you have this this house that, you know, you build in pieces. It's like an it's, you know, kind of like an IKEA house. You can
2: 3D print a house.
3: Yeah. Now that's amazing. Now that's in pieces and they're using plastic sort of filled with this concrete material. There's another company. I don't remember where they're based out of, but um it's called their premise is instead of building the house in puzzle pieces, you'd have this sort of extensible modular gantry, which sits on top of your work site. So, you know, you, you have like this tract of land and mm-hmm. you set this mechanism on, you know, you build it on the site. And so you've got your, you know, here's what the house looks like. You've got this digital model. And so there's a reservoir of a special kind of concrete and there's an extruder head and there's some manipulator arms and off to the side of the worksite, there's a bunch of, you know, other stuff that, and so, you know, it'll start by laying down a couple layers of concrete to build the, uh, the foundation, foundation for the house yeah. and it'll start building the walls, just 3d printing out of concrete. And then wow. if, you, when you run into like, okay, well here's where the plumbing is, it'll start building like a channel, and then it takes one of the manipulator arms and it goes and grabs a piece of pipe and it drops it in place and then it just starts building more concrete around it.
0: Holy shit. Yeah. I had
3: no idea that was even a thing. Oh man, and,
1: I'm going to find that and it, see if we can find like a yeah. video or something. Like. It,
3: it's I, I, we, we had this like digital model animation on uh, on a video on loop in the in the and it was just like yes I'm I'm literally gonna build the 3D print a house and so then you you're design
1: gonna, your house um, and then you take this machine and it makes that it for literally you. just builds it yeah for you
3: and I think what's gonna be really cool is if you can take like the materials mm-hmm. of you know the 3D printed concrete house and the modularity of the the Netherlands company and... it's gonna be incredibly and, affordable and, yeah it's like okay well you're going to walk into a store mm-hmm. kind of like the the container store or whatever and you're going to say okay here's my here's my site plan i want two bedrooms three bathrooms i want it all in art deco i need a stairway at this end of the house i want three floors you know this this and this they're going to open a digital catalog of, like, here's what all the pieces look like. You're gonna select them.
1: Well, they're already doing similar things for, like, tiny homes. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. not 3D printed, but they're modular homes. Yeah, yeah,
3: I mean, this notion of, yeah. like, modular housing. And so, you know, you'll pick all these pieces, they'll fabricate them for you, mm-hmm. they'll, sh- you know, sh- ship them to uh, to the to the site. You know, just like Ikea, you pay a little bit more, they'll help you build it. And then, maybe. You pay, like, an extra hundred bucks, and you get your house in the mail. Exactly! <laughs> and so, at some point, you I know, want to do that yeah. so bad. And, <laughs> at, and at some point down the road, you're like, "Oh man, um, I I changed my mind. I'm not a fan of this, this ba- accent wall. Uh, yeah, this this wall. You know, and and literally, you'll just like unbolt a couple of bolts and you'll pull one end of the house off and you'll fit an extra hallway on and then you'll put the house back together. You know,
1: that's insane. Like
3: like giant Legos. It'll be great. Um, well, they,
1: okay. So we we saw this other thing the other day. And again, not, not directly correlated to 3D printing, but this kind of modular idea is really starting to take off in architecture, like you said, just in general. And there's this one, I mean, obviously, you're seeing this like movement of like tiny spaces and having to like retrofit these tiny like apartments in New York City and all of this stuff to accommodate multiple people a Absolutely. lot of times. There are these giant Lego block type things, and you can literally build walls in your house yeah. that you can take apart. And I think they're called, oh, I can't remember the name of them, but I'll put them in there. But, um, like wonder blocks or something like that, but they basically, yeah, it's like incredible. Like yeah. you can build an like entire room just exactly. like out of these like Lego blocks. You can actually string lights through them and like make them light up. And, and then like,
3: when and then when you don't want it anymore, you just you take just it take, apart. take it apart. It down. Yeah. yeah. Um. So architecture is and another thing that 3D printing again in architecture, like one of the um you know as I said, one of the tenants in our building is this architecture firm, and they actually own the building. And they've got a couple of 3D printers mm-hmm. where, cause you know, you can, you can show people some floor plans. Mm-hmm. You can show them some elevation drawings and some hand done perspectives. But when you can actually fabricate a little miniature version of the house and you can take the roof off and take the, the floor off mm-hmm. and you can be like, Oh, well here's the little people and here's how they move through the space. <clears throat> That's
1: a lot more like tangible. Yeah.
3: It, it, it's, it's, it's a lot better for people who are not as visual as the people who were designing right. it. Um, And so, uh, we had a number of, you know, little models of various buildings, um, in, in the exhibition. We also had, there's a, another Amsterdam slash Netherlands company where they're 3D printing a bridge Mm -hmm. where, um, it's kind of like they have 3D these printing. Yeah. So it's, it's like staring at you in awe. I'm like,
2: these are real. Uh, things? Yeah, these are real things.
1: Yeah. The so, silence is just us like, uh, yeah, I so
2: promise we have things to talk about and we're just like in shock.
3: So the way the bridge is being fabricated, um, they have, it's kind of like a welding machine where you feed in metal and it sort of fuses these metal pieces, these metal particles together. And so they, they have these two robots and one of them starts on one bank of a river, and the other one starts on another bank of the river, and they sort of start fabricating the base of the bridge, and they just keep going out into the middle, and they meet in the middle, and as you know, as they're building, they're building the track that they're then traveling on. So they're sort of extending themselves out into the middle where they meet and then they'll have this bridge. It's um, so cool. How? Like, <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> I, mean, I mean... What are the what know, mechanics of that? On? Well, so, you know, so it, it, it's like, imagine if, um, you know, the in old-timey pirate times, you know, they'd say, walk the plank. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you, they'd stick the plank out from the ship and you'd have to walk to the end. Imagine if when you got to the end, you went and got uh, like a two by four off the ship and you just stuck it at the end of the plane. You just like kept walking. And, you kept kept walking. More and, and, and more. then eventually there was another ah, ship and it was someone over there was doing the same yeah, thing. But
1: I, I imagine at some point though, like that bridges are really long. Well, so yeah. it,
3: it, it's, it's a, it's a small bridge over like, okay. over like a canal. <laughs> I mean, like so, a big bridge. No, it's like, not, like, it's yeah. not like a giant, they're working, they're, the working, bridge. they're working their way up to that, yeah, but you know, it's baby steps. Okay. But, that makes more yeah. sense. Yeah. To me. Okay. And so, um, I was
1: just like problem solving in my yeah. brain with whatever small amount I have.
3: <laughs> I feel
2: like with this, I've been trying to think of how you can use it for the greater good. Both. I've already kind of talked about the medical medical thing, but like affordable housing and yeah. using it yeah. for persons that are experiencing homelessness. Mm. It's so cheap from what it sounds like. You can create like a one bedroom little. Yeah. There's, there's, home. there's
3: apparently a company in China, I believe where they figured out how to 3d print using this waste concrete material. Really? So
1: I, I've heard there are a couple of people working with us. Mm-hmm. There's one that's a white guy. And then I think there is, I can't remember where he's from. He's, I think he's European though. Um, but yes, I yeah. think there is another company in China that's yeah. doing something and really similar. They, they
3: basically three D printed ten houses in twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. You know, and so th- that's wow. going to change the face of disaster relief. You know, they'll, they'll they'll fit the, they'll throw this machine on a on a you know a transport plane. They'll fly yeah. it in, and you know, the day of a tsunami you know, like a couple hours after everyone's homes have just been destroyed, Mm -hmm. they're gonna start fabricating new houses and 10 families will have houses that didn't have houses earlier that day. Yeah. Um, In the medical industry, um, there there was a a little girl, she was born with some sort of a congenital defect where Mm -hmm. um, her heart and her lungs were growing into each other in a way that was really not healthy um and so scientists were working on this new type of surgery that would tr- that would be able to, to cure her to treat her um her her condition yeah her condition and they didn't want to just like oh well let's crack open her chest and like start digging you know through there with the scalpel so what they did is they took a, a ct scan they basically you know put her in this you know machine and it took a made a 3d image of her chest um, and so once they have, cause a, a CT scan is basically a bunch of, of thin layers. And mm-hmm. so from that they were able to build a 3d model and then they were able yeah. to 3d print a scale model of her heart and her lungs mm-hmm. so that they could examine it and find trouble spots before they actually cracked her chest open.
2: You can 3d print a person.
3: I mean, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But so <laughs> building up from organs, yeah, we'll, to so, organ well, well so so yeah, full human. So okay. they, they, you it. know, it was it was a it was a, a plastic model, but you know they were able to identify like, okay, here's where this thing is growing into this thing. We're gonna have a problem over here and over there. Um, there are to th- diagnose, yeah, predators. yeah, to diagnose before they actually opened mm-hmm. her up. Um, there are 3d printers that are capable of doing cells. Yeah. Um, so things like that I've heard yeah. about. Yeah. So like skin grafts for burn victims, that's a really big thing that you right. cause you know, skin is a bunch of cells yeah. because one of the basic properties of animal cells anyway, is if you put two cells in close proximity, they start to bond and they form tissues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you put enough, you know, if you put enough like skin cells together, you get a skin graft. We're not quite at the stage where we can like 3D print a full size organ for transplant, Mm -hmm. but they can do like quarter scale organs for chemical testing. Yeah. Right. And And
1: it seems like um, they're able to build kind of like frameworks too and then build like organs basically that your body won't reject. Yeah, exactly. So.
3: one of, the w- one of the other ways that you can 3D print with cells is you 3D print this sort of biodegradable scaffolding in the shape mm-hmm. of what you want. Yeah. And then you take a cell culture and you introduce it and it grows into this scaffolding. And eventually you're left with like, wow, it's a little tiny kidney mm-hmm. or something. I've and so um, they're working to the point where they're gonna be able to do like replacement kidneys and livers mm-hmm. and hearts and stuff like that. And if it's all taken from your own cells, there's no risk of rejection. Yeah. Um, there is one, probably one of the coolest examples of the medical industry in 3D printing. There is a guy, I think his name is Andrew Hessel. He works for Autodesk's Bio Nano Programmable Matter Division, which is like the coolest division name ever. <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. Yeah. And so he is working with his team to 3D print Cancer-fighting viruses. Holy
1: shit! So, so wow.
3: if you if you take from from what I understand, um, cancerous cells have certain chemical markers on the surface of the cell mm-hmm. which differentiate it from healthy cells, mm-hmm. and what they've done is they've figured out how to three D print. You know, basically, you're pushing. I guess. Um, amino acids together to build to build like the DNA and RNA and the, the outer sheath of the of the of the virus. But so you yeah. you eventually f- fabricate a small quantity of these viruses and then you culture them. And what these viruses will do is they will latch onto the chemical markers on the outside of just the cancerous cells, and they trick your body's immune system into destroying just the cancerous cells. So it turns your body's immune system on the cancer rather than on everything in your body. So instead of chemo, so that's, and that's you know,
1: usually what the problem is, right, with yeah. cancer? Mm-hmm. It's like your your you're body literally off turns yeah on. Cells because well.
3: when you and when you do like chemo and other treatments, you're basically shotgunning your whole body with chemicals, mm-hmm. and it makes your hair fall out and you feel like vomiting all the time. But so here, you just target the cancer cells and break them down. Now, from what I understand because everybody's body chemistry is a little bit different, everybody's like cancer variety is a little bit different. And so they can customize it to your body chemistry and your whatever cancer you've got. And right now they've got it down to $1000 a treatment and one Damn. treat one treatment will get rid of cancer in an in, in an individual and he wants to get it to the point where you can give it away. Yeah. So um, that, that's amazing. That's probably one of the coolest mm-hmm. things um, that is
1: by far yeah. one of the cool that makes me feel better because I feel like in yeah. our lifetime yeah, yeah something like that I mean be we feasible. might
3: cure cancer we might yeah. actually do it um
2: it's so interesting just like hearing the progression of what you've been telling us you started with something that was just so like small expect- like just minecraft like mm-hmm. you could like print something out from minecraft and now we've like worked our way up to such a level that yeah. it can literally impact almost every aspect of society. Yeah.
1: And we were talking about in the um um in the oh my god what is the word for it? <laughs> the show not mm-hmm. the show the exhibition. Yeah. In your exhibition that was ergonomics right
3: yeah it was it was an ergonomics and user-centered design exhibition
1: yeah so there were prosthetic limbs that were included that were a lot of them were trying to focus on making those affordable or accessible for everyday people all over the world
3: yeah so one of the one of the probably most well-known sort of prosthetics and 3d printing stories at least Mm -hmm. is called the robo hand and um as I understand it, there was a gentleman, Richard Van As, he's a carpenter in Johannesburg, South Africa, and he mm-hmm. lost several of his fingers in a workplace accident, and he realized that a lot of prosthetic limbs, you know, you're looking at sixty to eighty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and um, he's like, well, I don't, I don't have that just laying around to make a prosthetic hand, and so he was like, well. I know how to build stuff and he was a yeah. carpenter. And so he, he decided he was going to make his own and he was looking around online for inspiration. And there was a gentleman, I believe in Seattle, Washington, who was a puppet maker. He worked on like the really elaborate mechanical systems yeah. that go inside of like people sized mm-hmm. puppets. And so they collaborated. And again, this is technology, you know, the internet allowing people literally on two sides of the planet to talk to each other
1: about a problem that neither one of them yeah could yeah. solve on their own.
3: Yeah. And so uh, they worked together and they came up with this version of the robo hand, um, which um, instead of having really complicated electronics or anything, because a lot of the really high end mechanical prosthetics, they have, they have all, and motors and all this other fun stuff. So they focused on how can we do it really inexpensively? And they came up with this system where, you have this um, bracket that sort of attaches with a special cuff to your forearm, and then another part which attaches to your palm, or to the back of your hand. And then, um, you know, whatever whatever part of your hand is gone, um, it sort of fills in that spot. And so, when you bend your wrist, it causes some cables to pull and contract, and mm-hmm. it makes the fingers close. And so you take sort of a, a normal bending your wrist motion, and it turns that into, you know, a hand grasping motion.
1: Yeah, that was one of the ones
0: yeah. that was there. Yeah.
3: And so they, you know, they had these prototypes, and I think at some point they were they they had posted a bunch of videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And this family, I don't remember where they were. They had a kid who was born with amniotic band syndromes. He was missing the fingers on one hand. My sister mm-hmm. has. not Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's rough.
1: That's super
3: yeah. rare, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't remember the raid, but it's really rare. Yeah. And so this, you know, this kid, he didn't have h- fingers on his right hand, and so, you know, it was really difficult for him to do. I think it was his right hand, but it, it was really difficult to, you know, perform the sort of tasks yeah. that we perform as, as, you know, ordinary humans, and so. Um, these two guys got together and they, they sort of modified the robo hand and one of the, cause you know, kids are w- w- when you're younger, you're always growing, you know, your, your limbs are getting longer, yeah. you know, clothes that'll fit you one month won't fit you the next month. So they designed the robo hand to be scalable. So wow. you have this set of 3d models and you know, all these pieces And you do you measure across your knuckles and then there's a a quick formula to, you know, do some math and you figure out the scale factor. You scale all the pieces up and Mm -hmm. you print them out and it's like twenty dollars worth of plastic Mm
0: -hmm.
3: and, you know, plus, you know, whatever your strings and nuts and bolts cost. And so you can fabricate a hand. You know, and this kid could—he could throw a ball, he could pet a dog, he could pick up a pencil and write with it. You know, things that he'd never been able to do. Yeah. And then, as you know, when when it gets too small, you can either find someone else who needs that hand, you know, or you can recycle it and then you just make a new one. Mm-hmm. Um. And and there's a whole network. I think it's called the Enable Network, where they—it's kind of like um.
1: I'm running out of space on yeah. my notebook. for All these <laughs> <laughs> notes. It's it, <laughs> it, it, it's
3: kind of like Uber for prosthetics, where oh
1: cool. So like so if you're not using it or if you yeah so, it, yeah. So so
3: so you you can be like all right, he, they have two maps and you put a pin where you are. Mm-hmm. If you need a prosthetic hand, and it shows you all the other things on the map of people who are nearby who have a 3D printer and can fabricate hands for wow. you, and if you've got a 3D printer, it says here are all the people in your vicinity who need 3D printed hands or yeah. you know other limbs, and so it gets these people in contact with each other.
2: That's incredible.
3: Um, That's so cool. So I mean, there's there's all sorts of really amazing applications. I mean, we had a video, and this is this is the video that like basically it was the feel good video for the exhibition it was about a dog named derby who was born yep. with underdeveloped front limbs mm-hmm. and so you know he had fine back legs but he was always kind of like hunched over and so um, i think his ad- his adoptive mom pe- human mom um, <laughs> i was like there's <laughs> a dog that adopted adopt- what mom. works for 3d systems which is one of the forerunners of of like 3D yep. printing technology. My dad actually yeah. does some work with them, yeah. And so she was like They're in South Carolina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, let's fabricate him some limbs. And wow, that's so, cool. you know, they they did like um, 3D scanning of his limbs and x-rays and all sorts of other things. So they figured out how the bones were fitting together. Mm-hmm. And they designed these two basically little crutches that were ergonomic, they were easy for him to walk in. And so they, you know, designed and fabricated these limbs. And so now he can, he runs like a mile a day with his owners, you know? And I mean, it's, and he's so happy. Like you watch this video. This dog is over the moon. He's like, I can run now. I mean, and it's, it's amazing. So it's, it's making all sorts of fields and lives better.
1: And it's, and it's just such like a simple way. Like it's yeah. not easy, but it, it's simple. Yeah. Like, the ideas behind it are simple. The approach is simple. Um, it's easy, easily, easily scalable, and it's easy to replicate. It's like that is to me. It's just like it's incredible because I think a lot of the technical advances that we see, like not nec- they're not necessarily accessible, right? You know, and I think it really depends. Like it comes down to who's whoever is born in the right country at the right time with the right yeah. kind of resources. Like that, those are the, going to be the people that benefit. But these. I think we're seeing a whole, again, paradigm shift and cultural movement towards um, really trying to create accessible, you know, innovation. Um, And we saw this, we see a lot of, like, specifically really brilliant people out of like India and out of China who, you know, are dealing with population issues or who are dealing with accessibility or who are dealing with poverty in a way that we don't necessarily deal with. Yeah. Um, and that is their focus. That's their mission, you know, for a lot of these big companies who are making a lot of money off of it, but they still have these like incredible missions. Right? Yeah. So I think America is kind of picking it up as well. Yeah.
3: And one, uh, I mean, one uh, again this sort of open source maker movement type thing is really help like for example there's a a website called thingiverse um and thingiverse it's t-h-i-n-g-i-v-e-r-s-e.com and it's like an online repository of digital stuff curated (laughs) by makerbot and there's a bunch Mm -hmm. of these websites out there but it's like okay i'm gonna design a thing and it works for me and i decide well somebody else might be able to use this so mm-hmm. you know you create an account and you upload this file and you say all right here's any special instructions you've got you know all these whatever here's the model and so people can start sharing stuff you mm-hmm. know for free with each other and so like one of the one of the things that i tell people in the cl- in like our 3d modeling classes is okay you know maybe you don't necessarily know how to build all of these pieces to mm-hmm. make the thing that you want Mm-hmm. but if you can find something similar, something that is a base that you can, that you can use, you know, you can download that for free. You can, you can bring it into, you know, the tool and you can say, all right, this part works, this part doesn't, I'm going to extend this thing a little bit over this way. I'm going to do all these things to it. And so you sort of build on other people's work and then the whole, the, the overall whole gets enriched. Mm-hmm. So
2: That's what I love about it is that, It's not selfish. It seems very much like a collaborative community thing. Like, let's all work together to really better our technology and better our world because of it. Yeah.
1: And that's like a really interesting, that's a really interesting kind of philosophy that goes along with a lot of the people who champion this, like open source software or open source Like whatever, like if they're building something, it is something they take very seriously. Definitely. You know, so there was a guy who I I can't remember. I think Reply All did an episode on him um, who wrote this like piece of code that all these websites were essentially all these like web developers were using to build on. Yeah. And somebody pissed him off and he deleted it and he like broke the Internet. Yeah. (laughs) Because like but he put his work out there for free for a reason, you know, and he got into a philosophical debate about why he was doing what he was doing and you know like that that's what happened i mean eventually they fixed it but you know it was just it's like a it's it's very important to the people who champion this like there's a reason that they choose to go this path um and that is the part that i think is is like so it's not just self-interest in fact it's the anti-self-interest it's like they stand for the collective well-being
3: what one of the things that i uh i heard from a, a museum patron the other day was and I, I really agree with is that everyone sort of knows that do-it-yourself, you know, mm-hmm. that that phrase, DIY. And it's really it might have started off as like, you know, DIY meant some some person mm-hmm. in their garage with a hacksaw. <laughs> yeah. And it, it sort of evolved into D-I-T, do it together. Yeah. Where it's a bunch of people who sometimes are in the same physical space, but a lot of the times they're not. It's, I have my set of knowledge and you have your set of knowledge. And let's we, put those let's together. Let's put those together and make something better.
1: Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's all over the place. I mean, the internet. Like, you can yeah. just a quick Google search and you'll find constant streams of information. Yeah. So... I think it's incredible. Like, that for me is like, I, I think that's part, and I think it manifests itself even. Oh gosh, that is really wild.
3: Vroom, vroom. Vroom, vroom.
1: I kind of hate living at this intersection, but you know, whatever. Oh well yeah no I, I mean to a certain extent I don't know if I'm going to put this in the show but I do think it manifests itself politically with our generation as well mm-hmm. is we have a fundamental shift in the values of kind of gener- this generation and the next generation of kind of valuing the collective well-being over you know our individual self-interest yeah, yeah.
3: I, like I would definitely agree our generation's so, more appreciative
2: and trusting of technology too yeah rather than like the older generation because I it's think proven like, to us
1: yeah, that we, yeah. Write, we know it works yeah
3: now, that's an interesting point that you raise because, um, you know, one of the one of the things that I notice is people, and part of this is like that I, I see in classes, but part of it is just something that I sort of notice out and about is that there's this sort of intrinsic. You know, people look at, people trust their phone with a lot. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, people trust their laptop, you know, and they trust these digital devices with so much of themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And as the sort of person that I am, where I grew up in an, I I grew up in the, not necessarily like the early days of the internet, like my parents did, Mm -hmm. but I grew up sort of in the younger days of the yeah. internet. You know, I, I remember dial-up modems and that, yeah, that awful sound. <laughs> and I remember like, oh, I'm going to load this webpage. I'm going to go make a cup of tea. And when I yeah. come back... It'll be half-loaded. It, it'll be half-loaded. Yeah. Um, and so... And like
1: AIM and like the, the yeah, early... Yeah, yeah,
3: absolutely. And I... I am much more trusting of mechanical things mm. personally. I mean, yes, I have a cell phone. It's a smartphone. I I like technology. I do. Do I trust it? Not as far as everybody else does, I well,
1: think. Well, it, it doesn't have an interest other than to collect yeah. data. Yeah,
3: like, yeah, exactly. There, so. uh, Technology and science don't necessarily have a conscience. <laughs> yeah, and that's s- true. And that's so, very true. you know while and, and and part of this is I'm the sort of person who I think about all the ways that things can go wrong. And so, you know, when I when I design something, I tend to design it to be mechanical mm-hmm. because mechanical objects um they f- You can look at it, you can take it apart, you can clean it, you can put it back together. Mm -hmm. It works on physical principles that you've understood since you were a kid. You know, gravity pulls things down. (laughs) A spring wants to go one way and not the other. And so it relies on principles that are easier to understand and easier to fix Mm -hmm. um, than, you know, say like... A cell phone, you know, a right. cell phone, how many people on the planet understand every aspect of the device that they're holding in their pocket, mm. you know, very, very, and very very slim minority. yeah, exactly. And so, you know, when, when, when people are like, oh, you know, I, I just, you know, created this account on this thing. I'm like, what, what, it, what else is that thing doing? You know, mm-hmm. you, you don't see the code. You see the behaviors of what it's doing sometimes but not all the time. And it's yeah, like, well, yeah. yeah, it's doing all this other stuff behind the curtain based on, you know, some math and code that somebody else wrote. Mm-hmm. You don't and, know what's under the hood. Exactly. You don't know what's under the hood. And I think that again, the the maker and open source movement is about people being able to look Transparent, under the hood. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. People being able to open the hood up and say, This is cool. I don't like this piece. I'm gonna pull it out and replace it with something better. Yeah. Um and
1: and I think that's why it's such a strong philosophy yeah. because it's almost like anti-corporation kind yeah. of in a way. Like it's it's anti-monopoly. It's like we want this to be as like accessible as possible. Yeah. and we want it to be and as transparent. M-
3: as ethical as possible. Yeah. We want, we it want, does tie ethics, yeah, we a lot. want the things that we use and own and make to be easier to replace, um, to be easier to use, yeah. um, to be, more responsible in the way that they behave. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think um, there's the notion of planned obsolescence which was after, I think, World War II, you know, we had all of this production capability Mm -hmm. and we didn't know what to do with it. And so there there was this shift from instead of making really solid, well-built things, you made these things that would eventually break down and you'd need to replace them and you need to do it a lot more frequently than you used to. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, but cheaper in the short term, but cheaper in the short term. And I think the maker open source movement is kind of like the rebuttal to planned obsolescence. It's It's people, it's people saying, I want to make something that's not, you know, mass produced. I want it to be for me Mm -hmm. and I want it to work well and I want it to last. I mean, um, my, my parents have um, a vacuum cleaner mm-hmm. and they've had it since before I was born. It's all stainless steel and cast aluminum. And, you know, it's heavy and it's loud, but it works and it doesn't break. The only parts that we're out on are the rubber parts. And, you know, the the manufacturer still makes those rubber belts and they give those away for free. because And so it's like... But they don't make vacuums like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Now they're all like plastic, and you know they they have really wimpy motors in them. And it's like, well, and you see, like well, I think what was it that that dude Dyson, where he's like, I want, I just want a vacuum cleaner that should work. And it's like people get behind that. Mm-hmm. You know, those vacuums are more expensive, yeah, but they but they stick know, around, but they work. stick around and yeah. work better. And I, I've I've always believed that if you make,
1: I think it's like it's a it's a more artisanal approach, like yeah. what we're seeing, like people it's that rebuttal, that answer to you. And a lot of people feel like we've lost that yeah. like artisanal, like mentality because we don't have shoemakers anymore. We yeah. don't have like, we don't have a lot of this stuff, but we are seeing a, a, a kind of a resurgence even in those things.
3: Yeah. And like
1: handmade items even.
3: Um, and you know, so, so, and that again ties back into like 3d printing because um, you know, pre-industrial revolution everything was made by hand everything was a labor of love and a work of art Mm -hmm. but at the same time you could buy two pairs of shoes for the same person by the same craftsman and they wouldn't necessarily fit quite the same way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then post-industrial revolution everything was made by machines and everything you know would fit everything else but at the same time you lost a lot of that craftsmanship Mm -hmm. craftspersonship um, and so now with 3D printing and sort of the maker open source movement, you're seeing a million niche markets of one. You know, you're seeing everybody saying, I can I can take this, you know, this template and I can customize it mm-hmm. and I can f- fabricate that template over and over again and will always be identical to the to the previous one or as close as you know, realistically possible but it'll still be mine. It'll still yeah. be the one that I designed.
1: So it's, in a weird way, it's still that individualistic kind of approach and mentality and that uniqueness that we we value as Americans, but built on a framework that has a very different type of mentality yeah. and different type of approach. So it's, it's kind of interesting. It's an interesting dynamic to see mm-hmm. how even, like, culture evolves, right, with technology. And we we tend to, I think, especially in this country, we tend to view things as you know, isolated and Mm -hmm. that we don't understand that everything is connected. Like people don't fundamentally believe that you can have a conversation about whether it's, um, you know, inclusion and economy. Like they don't understand that, you know, things are connected and things are more complicated than that. And I think the same thing goes for tech, right? People want to separate like this is hardware, this is software, like this is open source, this is enterprise, like this, you know what I mean? People want to isolate. Yeah.
3: People, people, I think, as as a species we tend to we want to make things to be really simple we want them yeah. understandable yeah, we want exactly. to put things in little boxes <laughs> and say this is yeah, this yeah i don't think and, it's a flaw for yeah, sure yeah. i think it's just natural but yeah, yeah. Th- th- because most people's brains are th- just the human the human mind has a limited scope of yep. comprehension and At a certain point, it's like, okay, if I don't, if I don't bring this down to a certain level, my brain's gonna, like, melt out my ears. (laughs) And so, but. but It gets overwhelming. Yeah. And
1: and we constantly have so much information. Mm -hmm. that Especially in this day and age. And I think we almost are, like, having to do that even more than ever
3: before. Yeah, we're we're having to realize that.
1: You just can't handle that much. Our
3: actions have consequences. Yeah. And what what we do affects other people. Mm -hmm. Um, There was, there was an animated show, Batman the, and it wasn't, it wasn't, see I grew up on Batman the animated (laughs) series, but um, Batman Beyond, which was sort of during my teenage years. And there's that one character, Mad Stan, Who's like this super big beefy guy and he's like anti establishment, he's anti like technology, and he's like, Oh man, all the all the craziness that's happening, it's information overload, man. The only solution is to blow it all up. And so he's always walking around with this giant like, you know, vest full of explosives and grenades and all this other and he's always like trying to blow up like the digital hollow libraries and stuff like that. And Batman's always just like <sighs> Who let you out again? <laughs> Stop it! Yeah, and, and what was his name? Mad Stan. Mad um, Stan. And and it it's just like that that notion of like we're we're just we're so saturated by information that it's like You're fine. yeah you have to our, our our scope of comprehension we kind of have to in instead of looking at everything we kind of have to, f- you, narrow have to f- yeah, you have to compartmentalize and narrow your focus mm-hmm. yeah.
1: and that's and that's something that I chronically am horrible at is like picking something and delving deeper into it mm-hmm. um, and I just end up feeling like I'm pulled in a million different directions in every aspect of my life and it mm-hmm. gets really overwhelming and, like, I, and I think it's so easy to fall into that yeah and it almost makes you like dumber like it honestly like it affects your level of intelligence because like for me it's like i I don't have depth in anything and now i'm spread even more thin it's like i'm losing depth in every aspect and so it makes me feel like it's costing me yeah you know
3: and i think one of the one of the things that i find helps to combat that Mm -hmm. is you know whenever whenever you're you find something that interests you you know Mm -hmm. like sometimes i'll just go onto wikipedia and i'll just like oh well i want to know more about this Mm -hmm. you know you open that page you read and as you find things you are like i don't know what that term means i don't know what this thing is you know open those rabbit hole yeah yeah it's but but but. but it is it is a rabbit hole but it also isn't it's like you it's like if you're gonna if you're you know it's a rabbit hole going in but i'm gonna i'm gonna stick that stake in the ground right outside the rabbit hole I'm going to tie the rope to it I'm going to jump down and then once I've you know found okay I I think I've gone sufficiently down this rabbit hole now I'm going to climb back out and go find another rabbit hole yeah and so you do this selective like deep Deep dive dive where you learn a bunch of stuff about a thing and then you're like, OK, all right, I think I'm I think I'm reasonably well informed about this. Yeah. Let's see how this applies to whatever the next thing is. Yeah.
1: No, I agree with that. And I think the battle is finding the thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like. Right. There's so much out there. There's just so much. out There is. There. So there, if there's... you feel overloaded by information, we understand. Yeah, we, we, we do understand. <laughs> Well, this has been absolutely incredible, and for this, we are definitely going to have some information mm-hmm. in the show notes on the blog. We're going to write a full blog post for this because I really want to make sure that we're we're getting some of the the new stuff that's coming out that I think is really interesting and inspiring, and a lot of the changes that we're going to see coming in this field. I think a lot of people are going to want to read about that. So, if you were interested in reading more, head over to ydkmpodcast.com. dot com. That's where we're going to have all of the notes from Action In. Um, as well as just some like articles and videos and things like that. So on that note, I think we're ready to wrap up. What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah. I'm your host, Beeps.
3: I'm your co-host Groot. And I'm Action N. And now you know, and knowing is half the battle.